Welcome to Writing Questions. This week is part two of our two-parter with Dr. Jody Shipka. This time we visit a swap meet and do some shopping or antiquing. Flea marketing? Junking, maybe? All right. Um, okay, just for the uh, podcast, can I get you to do like just an intro? I'm Jody Shipka, and I'm an associate professor at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And I really love antiquing and flea marketing. All right. So, yeah, if you listen to the last episode, you know that the Rhetoric Society of America, the ASU Department of English, and the Graduate and Professional Student Association here at ASU gave our local chapter of RSA some money to bring Dr. Shipka here to Tempe, Arizona for a visit. Last episode, we heard Dr. Shipka present on how she takes her hobbies and turns them into the scholarly work that she's known for. In this episode, we're going to hear her talk about one of those hobbies, a constant ongoing quest to find meaningful gems of history lost in piles and piles of other people's junk. About a year ago, when I first started making this podcast, I heard a really great Zugma podcast episode with Dr. Shipka. I'll put a link to those episodes in the notes. Uh, Go check those out. In those interviews, she talks about how she takes these artifacts of history that she finds at yard sales and flea markets and estate sales, and she uses them to help us in the scholarly community and also her students understand so much about writing and history and the materials that surround us that we use to compose with. As I listen to this, the Zugma podcast episodes, I, I asked myself, what would I do if I ever got a chance to do an episode with Dr. Shipka? And the, uh, the answer seemed kind of obvious. I would take her to a flea market and walk around with her and ask her questions as we looked at stuff so she could teach me her secrets of looking and finding these amazing pieces of people's lives, like the six boxes that she bought at a yard sale that became the foundation of her Inhabiting Dorothy project. I'll let Dr. Shipka explain a little bit about the project. This comes from a video she made titled Past, Present, Presence. I encountered Dorothy and Fred at a yard sale on a Saturday morning in 2011. Dorothy had been dead for 30 years, Fred for 27. At the sale, I acquired six boxes of materials once belonging to the couple. The boxes contained death certificates and other personal papers, photos, trip diaries, and 15 scrapbooks covering a span of 31 years, from 1950, two years after the couple married, to 1981, the year Dorothy died. The items contained in the six boxes have allowed me to forge a path taking me beyond the paper, glue, and ink-based nature of the collection itself. While I've spent considerable time inhabiting these strangers' materials in the seven pieces of video scholarship I've produced so far, I've been curious to learn how others might take up some of these traces that Dorothy and Fred left behind. To give you a touchstone, you can think of the story of Vivian Meyer, or the Netflix documentary Finding Vivian, which if you haven't seen it or heard of it, you should go watch it soon. Um, Yeah, so the story of Vivian Meyer's photographs and the stuff she left behind when she died is kind of like the Mount Everest of what Dr. Shipka does. Vivian Meyer was this odd, reclusive nanny who secretly turned out to be, at least in my little opinion, the best street photographer in the world. And no one knew about it until this young antiquer in Chicago stumbled upon her boxes of negatives at an auction. The only difference here is the memory artifacts that Dr. Shipka finds aren't aesthetically valuable like the ones of Vivian Meyer. They're snapshots, they're 8mm films of birthday parties and playing in the backyard. So instead of drawing attention to themselves, these old memories prompt us to start asking questions about ourselves. Questions like, what do I take pictures of? Why that instead of something else? Do I keep a journal? And what do I write in it? And why? 
how and why do I preserve my memories? Does writing stuff down or taking pictures of it change how I remember it in the future? And I personally love asking myself these questions. I make home movies of my kids and I love preserving this kind of stuff. And all these things get riled up in my brain and I don't know how to process all of them, but it's fun to just get in there and figure all this stuff out or try to figure it out anyway. So when we got her to agree to come speak with us here, uh, I also asked her to fulfill this dream of mine to take me along as a small part of her adventure as she finds this stuff. So after we had figured out that she would uh, be able to come here to visit, um, I sent her an email and asked her if she would help me fulfill this dream of mine to go uh, to go look at this stuff with her. Um, so it became obvious really early on that the place that I chose for us to go was not a great choice. I'll spoil it for you right now and tell you that we don't find anything cool as we walk around in this uh, flea market shop, swap meet place, uh, whatever you call it. But it's still nice to walk and talk with her about how she finds what she finds. So what you're going to hear now are just the bits and pieces of our conversation as we walked around the literal one mile of booths at the Mesa Marketplace Swap Meet. Okay, well, I'm recording now. Okay. Um, maybe, I think the key is to see if anything looks old. Okay. So what is your approach then when you come? Is this like, is that your kind of overall approach look for old things and then do you always walk through and scan first or do you kind of get caught up in some certain things i tend to i like to antique when i have a purpose so if i'm working on a video and i need to find um small figures or yeah so far it looks like it's all oh nice plants that's kind of cool all right hey it's me back in the office uh, I'm going to pop in from time to time here to bridge some gaps between the pieces of tape that I'm playing for you. Um, as you can hear, we get distracted a few times as we're talking, so please forgive us. Now here's what I want you to do. As you listen to this, as you're sweeping or driving or uh, grading papers or whatever you're doing, just imagine that you're just walking around with us and on every side of you there are rows and rows of booths full of novelty license plate covers and chintzy watches Arizona State University hoodies, uh, leather belts, that kind of stuff, just as far as you can see. So what would you say is the, the most, I don't know, meaningful thing that you've found <laughs> while doing this? Probably, well, they're meaningful in, in different ways, but I think the six boxes with the Inhabiting Dorothy project was most meaningful. I paid $25 for it, and... It's such a complete story. Okay, so it was about this time that we were stopped by security. Yeah. Huh? Oh, I'm just uh, interviewing. Uh, she's a visiting scholar from Maryland. She specializes. They told us we weren't allowed to film in the marketplace and told us to stop, which was weird because we were only recording audio. So we told them that. Um, told them we were just having a discussion about buying antiques and vintage stuff, and they understood pretty quickly. It wasn't actually that big of a deal. In fact, we ended up having a really great conversation with the person in charge there about why Arizona actually is a really terrible place to go antiquing. Um, see, there's very few people who are actually from Arizona. Not many of us have deep roots. So pickings are slim when you're looking for old stuff. 
Um, I asked the person if we could use her voice, but she said she wasn't interested, so she just left us and we continued walking around. There has to be a big investment of time to find the kind of stuff yes. that you... Absolutely. I think Pete, when I, when I post some of the finds on Facebook and whatnot, people are like, oh, you're so lucky. I want to go, you know, flea marketing or antiquing with you. You find such good stuff. But it's, you know, on a typical Saturday, we usually start about 7, 7.30 in the morning, and we can go all the way through to 2.30 or 3, depending on how many fests and flea markets and whatnot. My boyfriend keeps calendars and spreadsheets and he's got a schedule there are certain antique stores that he likes to hit quarterly um if we know that a store has a lot of buyers that turn stock over quickly we'll frequent them more often what's your overall assessment of this place we're walking around now would you would this become part of your circuit no Mm -mm. with something like this where we suspected it might be newer my strategy would be walk as quickly as possible and discount if, if we're looking for vintage to just walk quickly in order to do that and this all looks like it's pretty new so unless I'm looking or we're looking for something new yeah because I kind of had like a maybe a romantic vision of uh, you know the cosmic forces aligning to, to for like that special box of negatives of this family like ending up in the right spot for you to be there to get it because you know, do you feel like that happens or is it you, this just you're always out there? And There are definitely times where you feel really lucky on a particular day where it just seems like everything lines up. My boyfriend calls this kissing frogs, that when you find a whole lot, you have to go through a period of time where you find nothing. Mm-hmm. And whether that's serendipity or something else or even being in tune, there's, there's times I get so overwhelmed with, as you can see, there's so many things to look at. Mm-hmm that catch your eye and that there's times where I just have to trust, like lead me to the Polaroid film colors or lead me to the Kodak black and gold. Who who are you talking to when you say lead me to? I guess fate, but I think it's more a matter of reminding myself, my boyfriend's a big one in thinking, visualize what you want to find and you'll find it. Hmm. I don't know that that works. I just find oftentimes when I don't want more stuff, I don't want to spend money, that's when I tend to find a lot of things. And maybe that's just because those stick with me because I'm so dead set against getting anything. The next story that Dr. Shipka told me was one of these particular instances when she had told herself when she didn't want to buy anything. She was just going to look. And this story is the kind that has inspired countless reality TV shows around appraising antiques, buying storage containers. Basically, most of the stuff that now plays on the History Channel. I didn't even want to get out of the car that day to look at all of this stuff. Uh But we went to this community sale and my boyfriend was looking at some cast iron pots. So I happened to find this big black bag, woman's purse, with wigs in it. And I thought, oh, I don't want the bag. I thought, all right, I'll just ask her. Because sometimes the wigs are overpriced. And these were really, really nice vintage wigs. And I think there were four or five of them in the box with wig stands and, or in the bag. And so I said, well, how much for the wigs? And she said, $2. And it was just that moment of going like, oh, $2. I'm going to have a whole bag full of stuff. End up getting it. Got it home. And in the bottom of the bag was 
a jewelry box with a diamond engagement wedding ring set. Wow, a real diamond? Mm-hmm. What did it feel like when you opened it up and found that diamond? That made me feel, um, that made me feel sick. I didn't feel happier. At the time, it was just more a matter of, holy cow, nobody looked through this. Whoever donated it, the people who were selling it, because when I said, how much for this bag of wigs, she's like, oh, there are wigs, and she just like touched the top two wigs and said $2. And I think even with that, because there was no tracing it back, because this was all stuff that was given away. There wasn't anything identifiable in the bag. But, you know, one of those moments where a $2 purchase, and I've gotten it looked at, it's a little over a carat for the engagement ring, and they say it's a really good stone, but I haven't had it formally appraised. But one of those moments where, you know, all I had seen is there were wigs sticking out of the bag, and I figured I wanted those. I didn't even check what was inside of it until I got home. My boyfriend can be kind of competitive in terms of the values that he finds, and at the time I said, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with this. How do we get this back to who it belonged to? Um, but then it was also a matter of, hey, did I, did I win the, <laughs> the smallest investment for the greatest reward? And he yeah. said, yeah. As we walked and talked, I was really interested in what it feels like to her to make these finds, how rare they are, and what happens step by step as the purchase is made. One of the topics that kept coming up was the idea of value and the ways that monetary value and the value for Dr. Shipka for her research or archival purposes don't always line up or the emotional ups and downs that Dr. Shipka goes through as she tries to determine that value on the spot. There's a Polaroid camera, and I can't remember the model, 195, but it comes with a really great lens, and it's basically an SLR Mm -hmm. Polaroid. And I remember seeing one of those on a trip at, in, I think I was in Kentucky, and when I saw it through the glass, I got very, very... Your whole body starts kind of shaking like, oh my gosh, there it is, there it is, there it is. And at the same time, you want to look, but you don't want to look at the price because you know in that moment, it really is a visceral reaction. And you don't want to let on how happy you are when you're asking people how much it is if it's not marked. Mm. You don't want to let on how much you want it. You want to kind of hang back despite your body vibrating and being very excited. And you know in your mind, I'd pay 100 bucks for this, but you don't want to tip your hand to that. Right. Sometimes I have, not buyer's remorse, but the opposite, non-buyer's remorse, uh-huh. that I should have gotten it. Um, went to an estate sale of an artist, a local artist who had died. And I mean, the house was filled with all of his stuff and his wife's stuff. And she had died, I don't know, 20 years ago. But in the basement, I mean, and it was just filled. And in the basement, in the file cabinet, were all his sketches. And at that point, I wanted to ask about buying them. Because here, here's a story of making, a story of process. I cared less about, I bought a couple pieces of his art. But I wanted those journals and those sketchbooks. And... But at that moment, it was a, you know, big, tall file cabinet. And I thought, I just can't house all of that stuff. I can't mm-hmm. take it. But that was something I really fretted about. They were having, the estate sale was so big, they had like part one and part two. 
So we did go back the next week and I thought, well, if the stuff is still there, maybe I'll get it as it was the file cabinet had been cleaned out. So whether or not that was donated or dumped. Um, as I said, the place we ended up going in order to talk about looking for meaningful vintage objects was with the exception of one overpriced vintage bread box and some vintage linens that we saw, it was completely full of sterile, mass-produced, brand-new stuff. At one point, um, we passed by some kitchen gadgets that looked mildly interesting, even if it wasn't what we were looking for, and it sparked a conversation about what to call what Dr. Shipka does. And see, this, this would be useful just in terms of kitchenware. Right. Like, why buy something at... Walmart or someplace more expensive when you can get... But in your mind, is there a difference between shopping for that? Is that like... To me, I would call that shopping. And then, But if you're looking for vintage stuff, it's like different? I don't know. Or does it all kind of fall in the same category for you? I, th- I think it's different. It's interesting other people naming like, oh, you're out shopping. And when I'm antiquing, sure, I'm, I'm paying money for things or when I'm flea marketing. But I see that more as... Doing research, um, getting things that connect me with history. I don't see it as shopping in terms of I'm going to buy this, consume it. It's more a matter of I'm acquiring things for a kind of museum. So I don't see that as shopping, hmm. but I do like a so good it's, bargain. It's curating. Rug, yeah, rugs. This Now, this is nice. Um, it would depend on the prices. But yeah, it's always a little bit disconcerting when people refer to it as shopping. Because mm-hmm. you don't go shopping for other people's negatives, right. right? Even though you do. All right, well, this place is big. Which way should we turn now? I guess there was a local woman who had shifted from analog to digital. And so had all of this dark room, you know, screens, all kinds of stuff. And I think my boyfriend had heard about her from somebody through work. We went to her house, talked a little bit about what she did, and she basically gave us the stuff. You know, I said that I would never flip it or make a profit on it, um, but it was that sense of passing on. She wasn't going to use it. I was very invested in the photography, so, and, and that kind of generosity. And I felt that too, where if I met somebody who was really into analog photography, sure, come look at my camera collection, I'll set you up with the development stuff. So that spirit of passing things on as opposed to making a profit. And I guess that's where I don't see it so much as shopping, but as an exchange of meaningful objects, even if the exchange takes place with money. All right, the last two clips I'm going to play for you here as we work toward the end touch on the ways that these meaningful objects that Dr. Shipka collects end up being more than just objects, that they're somehow full of the feelings that surrounded the getting of the object itself. I bought a um, Tasmanian Devil Polaroid camera, and I remember vividly finding it. I think I paid two bucks for it. It was really cool, but it was a day that my boyfriend and I weren't getting along. So I keep thinking about, wow, I love that object, but it wasn't a fun outing. It wasn't a fun trip. Um, So it's not that I don't use it, but those things are tinged with the circumstances of 
the event, the going out and buying things. There are other pieces that I have around the house. I've got a really great mid-century lamp in the dining room, a dining room table. All those things make me really happy and I'm able to say, look at the lamp and say, I can't believe I paid 19 bucks for this at a Goodwill. So, okay, then here's a question. When that lamp is in your house, it's, it's functioning more than a lamp, right? It's kind of like a trophy, I guess, to some extent. Yeah. It, like when, when you look at it, do you feel like, I don't know, does it just become a lamp or is it always contain that story of, oh, I got that for this price or, or, you know, is the story always connected to it? I think the story is always being able to look at certain things and remembering that moment, like walking in, not expecting to find anything and all of a sudden saying, thank goodness we went in that day. That thing was there and I got it. Well, I think we've reached the end. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can, I think we'll go out this way. Yeah. I think the car's right over there. All right, so that was it. Thanks for walking around with us. And once again, big thank you to RSA and the ASU Department of English and the GPSA for making Dr. Shipka's visit a possibility. Thanks to Dr. Shipka for indulging me and helping me learn to see how she sees a little bit. Music for this episode comes from twinmusicom.org. I'm Stephen Hopkins. You can email me at stephenwhopkins at gmail.com or tweet to me on Twitter at knee. If you've got something to say, you can comment on this episode on SoundCloud. I'd love to hear what you think. Um, if you'd like more information on Dr. Shipka's work, you can find her website at remediatethis.com. Like I said, there's a link in the description of this episode. Uh, there's a link to the transcript of this episode in the description for you to peruse and to share. Uh, links to those Zugma pap- pod- <laughs> There are links to the Zugma podcast episodes that I'd like for you to listen to as well. And this has been Writing Questions, where we explore the role of writing in our lives and cultures. We'll see you next time. <laughs>